You see, the trouble is, is that we all live in a happy ending culture. A what should be culture instead of a what is culture. We're all taught that fantasy. But if we were taught this is what is, I think we'd be less screwed up. Escaping the cave. And I'm getting really sick of guys named Todd. Zilla X-Pod. Todd Zilla X-Pod. Creep! Facebook is such a pile of shit, isn't it? How dare you! Everything about it. I mean, everything that Zuckerberg puts his hands on. He probably has these great intentions. These visions of what he's going to do with uh, the future of technology and everything. But it seems like everything this guy touches, it turns into a piece of shit. Big pile of shit. How are we looking over here? We're looking good? Looking good. Looking good, right? Huh? Hi. Okay. I had, I don't know why that's how, you know, it was probably the music. We can't have you playing the traveling Wilburys version of Runaway. It's going to bring down the platform. Oh my God. Fuck you, Zuckerberg. Fuck you. God damn. There's some people that just... This is probably what I needed. I wasn't even sure I was going to do this today. I've been sitting here for like an hour trying to bring myself to get on this fucking microphone today because this is basically still just me trying to figure, obviously trying to figure out the technology, right? I'm not a fucking streamer. I'm a radio guy. I haven't been a radio guy in 15 years. So I've been doing podcasts, trying to, you know, clutch on that old radio background that I have. I tried to try to bring this into, into, into the video room because kind of the, the way things go, right? That's the way things are going. That you're just doing yourself a disservice if you don't add some sort of a video element to your podcasting. I wasn't done with you. Damn music bed. So I'm trying to figure this out. Like I said, I, I've said this a couple times in the last uh, couple of different streams I've done. This is just me trying to figure out the technology, trying to figure out the equipment. I've got uh, one two computers here. <laughs> I've got one, two, three, technically four screens going in front of me. I can monitor like the feed and change everything on Twitch over here. And then I've got FaceFlock over here. I don't have any patience for stupid shit. How you doing? What is today? Today is uh, Thursday, right? January 26, 2023. This is the, I guess, uh, technically the second one of these stupid things that I've done. And I realized uh, yesterday I got this really cool uh, Facebook memory thing that popped up. <laughs> Something Zuckerberg got, got uh, right was the memories thing. I came back from Peru. My last trip, the last time that I've traveled, the last, uh, I don't know, trip that I took uh, ended five years ago this week. I have not been on the road anywhere to do any kind of real traveling in five fucking years. I don't know how that's possible. It is. Boy, <laughs> my body feels it, that's for sure. But that, what that means uh, to you, uh, maybe... <clears throat> significant to me anyway 
in that it's been five years since the, this uh, podcast was resurrected. I think on February 1st, 2018. I think. I have to go back and look at the, the uh, podcast feed. But I think that's right. I think it was. February 1st, 2018. And what I found today, or last night, or whatever the fuck it is. God, you're pissing me off, Facebook. Go, just go fuck your... Just shut your shit down. Ah. Uh, found this, the, uh, the notes from the original uh, Resumption podcast. I, I have it uh, titled, It's the People. So what this is, I think, is the Media 101 podcast. It's one of the very first ones that I did when I came back because I wanted to get into what it is about the media that makes it suck so hard. Why is it we can't find good information? Why is it that the media is just this side versus that side? Hitler versus Hitler, as Matt Taibbi said. His book, Hate Incorporated. Great book. Well, what is it about the media? And, and that was the very first thing I wanted to get into when I resumed this podcast, because a lot of people, a lot of people that I know, a lot of friends of mine, a lot of you, like to blame the media. You like to say, oh, the media is keeping us docile and keeping us stupid. It's the media that's keeping us dumb. Bullshit. American media is a for-profit entity. It's, it's designed to make money. And if it doesn't make any goddamn money, it ceases to exist. It's as simple as that. Any business in this country that's not being subsidized by somebody else or something else, some other entity, is a uh, for-profit endeavor. And if it doesn't make a profit, <laughs> they go out of business. You're with me today. I was in a good mood before. That shit. I'm probably more effective like this. Anyways, anyway, people like to blame the media for keeping the people, we the people, docile bullshit. The media is giving you what you want. It's giving us what we want. It's giving the people what the people demand. Because if they don't get it in this informational ecosystem, this environment, with how many cable channels and how many websites, how many podcasts, how many live streams are out there where you can find exactly what it is you want. If the people, if these companies aren't going to give it to you, you click away and go find someone who will. It's as simple as that. This is called boutique news, boutique media. This is what I've called it. Where Fox News, MSNBC, CNN, all of these companies who make money, who sell advertising, which bases their rates on how many eyeballs, how many faces are buried in the trough every single day. That's how they make their money. They have to do it. They have to give you the informational consumer what you want. And if they don't, they cease to be in existence. It's the people. It's the people. We, the people, are to blame if unbiased news and balanced information was what we wanted. It would be profitable. We would be able to sell it. People would be clamoring for it. But I'm clamoring. No, you're... Are you sure? Or do you think that your specific or particular brand of boutique news, do you happen to think, have you, have you somehow contorted it in your mind that that's unbiased, just, just giving you the facts? I have yet to find 
one media outlet that engages in that kind of behavior. Now, you people on the left, there aren't any people on the left, but but my old old comrades there on the left, what about NPR? Hmm? What about NPR? NPR is down. No, it's fucking not. That's a very specific kind of propaganda. I, I forget what the name of it is, but it's almost like it's like propaganda on lewds. It's subdued propaganda for people who fancy themselves as above all the, the hype, but still want the shit that they demand delivered to them. That's what NPR is. If you have any inkling of what true objectivity is, you won't be able to listen to that network for very long. And they're just as for-profit as anybody else. I know that they like to say, well, we're listener-supported. Fox News is listener-supported indirectly via advertisers. They still have to give their listeners what they want, or they're not going to get their monthly gift. That's it. There isn't any... There's no real hope here because the consumer, the consumer is uh, what's flawed in this equation. The consumer has to get what the consumer wants. So until we have some massive, massive evolution, and I keep talking about massive evolution in self-awareness, and we start to understand how our minds work, how these stupid little monkey brains of ours work, how our egos work, how twisted and contorted our conception and our perception of reality really is until we get to that point and really understand what it is we're demanding from our informational sources. Ain't going to happen. There ain't <laughs> News Nation isn't going to suddenly start, you know, taking an 80 share. News Nation sucks anyway. These are the people <clears throat> <clears throat> it's not a good network. I've talked about this as well. There are so many liberal media outlets out there. The liberal media bias is a real thing. But why then is Fox News? Why do they get better ratings? Because they're the only ones there. Everybody else, all of these other liberal media bias out, biased outlets are fragmenting the audience, cutting up the pie. Fox News caught on to that early. They are the one main dominant outlet. I can't even remember the names of these other uh, outlets that uh, sprung up like, like a fungus during the Trump administration. They didn't do anything. They can't go up against that behemoth. But they see it. They see that, that there's, a, there's a hole in that market. I guess as far as sheer outlets go, if you were to total up the number of liberal outlets and the number of conservative outlets, the liberal outlets vastly outnumber the conservative ones. So if you're ambitious and you want to try to outflank Fox News on the right, well, there's your opening right there because there's less competition there. So if you want to go even more batshit than Tucker or Hannity and you're ambitious and you got money to burn, that's the way to do it. That's where you want to go. It's harder to do that on the left because of the number of outlets. The number of propaganda sources. Anyway, I, I'm looking at this today. And boy, I went into it, man. 
I pretty much wrote a script for myself, I think, on that day, but I didn't really stick to it, if I remember correctly. Ah, but it's long. People are uninterested in uncomfortable and unsweetened truth. Blunt honesty that bruises the ego. Genetics, it's ego, tribalism. Surrounding yourself with agreeable voices, seeking them out in the matrix. Only these opinions that support your doctrine and worldview will be tolerated unless you make people laugh. <laughs> you might just get canceled these days, right? And wrap these truths inside of uh, Jolly Ranchers for the infantile childish ego, a spoonful of sugar. I went and grabbed the Mary Poppins thing. I got a lot of this right. There's a lot of things I might have gotten wrong, or <laughs> there's quite a few things, actually, that I got wrong early on there with my thumb stuck in my butt. My, my thumb thir- firmly planted up this uh, hope for humanity asshole of mine. But this wasn't this wasn't one of them, and I think this was the very first uh, episode. I think it was one of the very first episodes that I did, and it's one I think that I've referred to uh, more often than any other over the last few years, last five years now. The one that I've shared the most, and uh, I think it's got the second most hits, at least as far as the audio podcast. There's one I think that has more. Which one was that? I'd have to go look it up. Yeah, five years. Five years I've been back at this, and I haven't been really back at it. I haven't really been doing too many. I was uh, kind of crying in my soup about this uh, last night, yesterday. So I was like, yeah, five. Five years back at this. And then I was thinking back to like 2020. Toward the end of 2020 when I was doing the uh, podcast with the other guy. And, boy, I haven't done hardly anything since then. Since the end of 2020, September, October, November, up until about the election, a little bit after Biden's election. And January 6th, I did a little bit, but yeah, with that, boy, I've really fallen off a cliff. I think I've done less than 10 episodes uh, since then. And uh, I can really, I, I, I don't want to talk about this again, man. I keep talking. About, I keep going back to this fucking topic every time. I feel like a broken goddamn record. And, but I, I, I pretty much have lost any hope that anything can be done. Now, what's the point of this? Who am I, who am I helping? What am I, who, what's the, the Bob Dylan, there's a Bob Dylan line in there. What's the, what's the end game? Now, to sit here and say that raising awareness is going to liberate us from the evil propagandists amongst us is bullshit. Awareness is a problem, but it's a lack of self-awareness that's killing us. The inability to look ourselves in the mirror and see an accurate reflection. That's the thing that's killing us. This notion that we can all sit here, demand to get our very specific brand of bouquet or boutique news while rationalizing to ourselves that we are rational. We want the truth. We don't want the truth. We want our soil and green fed back to us, our worldview, our belief system, our ideological doctrine. We want whatever places us at the center of the universe reflected back to us. 
Jonathan Haidt, I haven't talked about Haidt's elephant in a really long time. That came up last night. You got to think about the, you know, the, the, the elephant and the rider. The elephant is the emotive response, our emotions. We're emotional critters, man. That's, we are driven by emotion. If you're sitting there saying, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm driven by a rat. Go away. Shoo. Shoo. Fly away, little bird. Go. People are not wired that way out of the fucking box. The only people who are wired that way are wired that way years later. Years later. My scientific training, and most of them, they're still irrational. Maybe less so than the average human being. Have you ever seen Neil deGrasse Tyson? The start When he, he starts venturing off into his woke bullshit? He's supposed to be one of the preeminent rational scientists. You can tell. You can tell he's fighting it. He doesn't want to show it, but he gets frustrated and he wants this irrational shit. His doctrine, his religion, his liberal religion, he wants to let it loose. Neil deGrasse Tyson, of all people. If people were so goddamn rational, we wouldn't need anything called the scientific method. Because scientists let their egos get in the way just as often, almost as often, as anybody else. So what is the scientific method? The scientific method is designed to test uh, other people's perceptions, other people's experiments against this. Because why? People get attached to their theories. People get attached to their ideas, their hypotheses. People don't want to be wrong. People feel shameful, full of shame when they're shown to be wrong. So they'll do anything not to be wrong. Even scientists, so you've got to have scientists cross-check and make sure that this person isn't missing something, intentionally, unintentionally, whatever, because his filter, his perspective, his perception of his own work is going to be skewed, could possibly be skewed. You need a separate, a detached viewpoint. You can't, it's very hard, really hard, really difficult to detach yourself from your own work, from anything that you've got a dog in the fight in. There's a reason that we don't put victims' families on juries. This has been coming up a lot lately. I forget exactly the context. It came up in my head again last night. I know what it was. It was the gun control thing. Gavin Gecko out there in California running his fucking mouth again. I'll save that for another time. We can use gun control here, and I, I can bring the union argument into this as well, a conversation that I've had with a couple of friends of mine, one liberal, one conservative, both are pro-union in very specific situations because they have a dog in the fight. One guy works for the railroad. The other has a son who works for the railroad. So it's really hard, almost impossible. It, it, it's literally impossible for the union guy to separate it because he's got his entire identity, his identity tied up into this. You're not going to convince this guy of anything. It's just going to descend into, into combat, rhetorical combat. <laughs> the other guy is the same thing. He wants to support his kid. He cares about his son. So he can't get his dog out of the fight. He won't get his dog out of the fight. And, you know, fine. I get it. I understand that. But this is exactly why we don't put family members... Victims' family members on juries because this union guy with his son who works for the railroad, 
I don't mean to pick on him. He's a big boy. He can handle this. Is also a gun guy. Very pro-Second Amendment. He and I, get we've come to agree on a lot of that stuff. But if something happened, if somebody gets shot, gun violence, a lot of it going on in California, if there's a trial, a lot of people think you should put the victim's family members in the jury. If, you're, if you have any concept, any real concept of external justice at all, fairness, justice, anything, that you, you, you can't help but see how stupid of an idea that is. Putting victims' family members on juries because what's the line from uh, that Star Trek movie, Mr. Spock? Oh, it's one of the new ones. I've been emotionally compromised. Your planet was just destroyed. Your mother murdered and you're not even upset. If you are presuming that these experiences in any way impede my ability to command this ship, you are mistaken. And yet you were the one who said fear was necessary for command. I will not allow you to lecture me about the merits of emotion. No money you stop me. Step away from me, Mr. What is it like not to feel anger or heartbreak? Back away from You feel nothing! You never loved her! Spock! There I am no longer fit for duty. I hereby relinquish my command based on the fact that I have been emotionally compromised. <laughs> he had to relinquish command of the USS Enterprise because the mission at hand jeopardized his uh, rationality, his ability to think clearly. He was emotionally compromised. So people, victims of gun crime, should never, ever, ever be listened to in a conversation about gun rights. How dare you? Oh my God! That's blasphemy! I can't believe you said that! How dare you? Right? Sit down and think about that, or pick, a, uh, pick one of your pet topics, pet subjects. I'm trying to think of a way that you could it, it take this into the abortion debate. Drunk driving comes to mind. Mothers against drunk driving. Family members who have had their lives affected by drunk driving. I know this is going to horrify you. You might want to douse your, your, your hair in some water before it fucking sets on fire here in a minute. You know where I'm going here. They are the, the last people who should be involved in drunk driving legislation. They shouldn't be involved at all. They should have a say. I understand going into a trial, victims, uh, families going in and making statements and stuff like that before sentencing. I understand that. I'm, I'm fine with that. I have no problem with that. But people who are crafting legislation should not be influenced by people who are too close to it. Across the board, if you've been shot, if you've been a victim of gun crime, you're ineligible. Ineligible. I know it, 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 it's, I, I can feel it. I can, I can feel this from the future when people listen to this later on. <laughs> They're screaming at their, at their speakers or their headphones or whatever. If you're a victim of gun crime, if you're a victim of drunk driving, nobody should listen to you. You're not detached and you can't possibly be objective about it. Impossible. That's why we don't put the families of victims on juries. That's why we don't put the victims of families in a room and let them decide what happens 
to the perpetrator. It's as simple as that. You can't detach. It's impossible to detach. And this this runs so deep. When you start talking about how uh, people get attached to their ideas, to their belief systems, they get attached to their morality, their sense of morality, which is almost always imposed by one belief system or another. It doesn't have to be religion. You don't think that ideology, politics, has that same influence on a person's sense of righteousness? Oak Flakes are some of the most religiously fanatical people that I've ever met. I used to rail on religion constantly, like the the normal theological kind. Did it for years. We've gone over this a number of times. I've stopped that because I understand I've come to learn and, and to realize where religion comes from. So as long as you're not forcing it on anybody, not demanding that other people conform to your, you know, mythological belief system. I don't have a problem with them. Go ahead. I'll I'll even let you try to sell me one time. You can go ahead and try to save me once. When I tell you to stop, if you don't stop, then we're going to have a fucking problem. Right? But politics serves the same role. It gives you the the sense of good and evil. It gives you the, the good guys and the bad guys, Mr. and Mrs. Evil. Evil. Elon Musk suddenly falls on the wrong side of the line of demarcation between woke good and woke evil. So he's got to be swarmed for months on end. Joe Rogan, the same thing. This woke uh, campaign to get Rogan, the the most (laughs) successful podcaster in the history of podcasting. More people listen to him than anyone in any, I, I think, any medium. I think he has the most viewers per week, or listeners, viewers too. But he (laughs) turned into a blasphemer. I think that's it too. I think that was a lot of what happened. The the heat that's being thrown at Elon Musk and was uh, thrown at Rogan about a year ago. They used to be liberals. They used to adhere or at least caucus with people who reside left to center on the political spectrum. And then all of a sudden, oh, COVID, their response to the vaccines, they didn't tow the party line. They didn't tow the media line. They didn't tow the Fauci line. They questioned things. All of a sudden, they were indulging in blasphemy. They became heretics who had to be burned at the cultural stake. That's their crime here. They dare to say things that are blasphemous, ideologically blasphemous. Escaping the Cave podcast, escapingthecave.com, Tonzilla X, <laughs> Substack. You know how this goes? 
Pete behind the scenes. I don't know why I like that so much. Anyway, I was talking about uh, how religion, ideological religion, as well as the other kind, affects how people view themselves, their place in the world, view right and wrong. And once that uh, sense of right and wrong has been established by the shamans, it also affects how they see other people, other human beings, other people in the community, outside of the community, whatever, the other. People who don't do what they do, people who don't think the way they do, behave the way they do. Those who worship another god, theological or ideological, that's the, uh, the definition sometimes of good and evil. Do you think like me? Now, you can look around the, the cultural landscape these days, and it's not hard to find it. Not hard to see that at play and at work right now. If you don't think like I do, <laughs> well, <laughs> you're either a fascist or a communist. Either way, you're evil, and you need to die. You need to be kicked out of the uh, socio-political landscape, I guess. Anyway, I've talked about Joan Didion quite a bit. I wish I would have thought of this beforehand because I have this voiced. I had uh, one of my wife's friend's daughter come in and voice this piece by Joan Didion, at least the last part of it. It's the last three paragraphs of her uh, uh, essay on morality from Slouching Toward Bethlehem. Big fan of Joan Didion. It's up on my website, actually, at escapingthecave.com. I don't think I've thrown it up on the Substack site yet. But if you want to read the entire uh, essay... That's where you can find it. It's hard to find unless you you know you want to go out and buy the book. That's why I put it up there. It, it took me forever to find the damn thing. Incidentally, uh, Emma, see the little squid on top of the skull back there? She knitted that just for me. High school colors. Yeah. Oh, I'm a proud comet. Anyway, on morality, it's what I've called the... Uh, Madman barometer, the, the test for the madman, the fanatical test. Like, if you want to figure out if somebody is a fanatic, this is the, the litmus test for you. I want to read this for you, and then I want to apply this to uh, something else that I have been intending to get to. Shouldisms. Now, this is Joan Didion. It's her essay on morality. It's written in 1965, I think. I've got a lot of stuff from the mid-60s that I'm using these days. Uh, slouching toward Bethlehem, you can get it in there. <clears throat> Probably other places as well. She just nails the last three paragraphs. It's almost perfect. When you're talking about madmen, fanatics, extremists, those types of people, you'll see why. She says, of course, she'll say that I don't have the right, even if I have the power, to inflict that unreasonable conscience upon you. She's talking about self-righteousness here. Unreasonable conscience. That what she thinks, what you think, what this person thinks is absolutely right. Therefore, she says, she does not have the right, even if she had the power, to inflict, inflict that unreasonable conscience upon you. Nor do I want you to inflict your conscience, however reasonable, however enlightened, upon me. We must be aware of the dangers which lie in our most generous wishes. Lionel Trilling once wrote, Some paradox of our nature leads us, 
when once we have made our fellow men the objects of our enlightened interest, to go on to make them the objects of our pity, then of our wisdom, ultimately of our coercion. This is not her quote. This is Lionel Trilling. It's one of the best things I've ever fucking heard, man. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to repeat it. You ready? We must be aware of the dangers which lie in our most generous wishes. Some paradox of our nature leads us, when once we have made our fellow man the objects of our enlightened interest, to go on to make them the objects of our pity, then of our wisdom, ultimately of our coercion. What he's saying is people are pieces of shit when they decide they know what's best for someone. Even, even out of their own, even, even if it is intended to be in their own self-interest, people have this tendency to take control of that person just because they think they know best. Whether they do or not is immaterial. What's best anyway? We'll get to that. Who the fuck are you to decide that? That's the question. Good luck. That the ethic of conscience is intrinsically insidious, <laughs> what a great phrase, seems scarcely a revelatory point, but it is one raised with increasing infrequency, even those who do raise it tend to segue with troubling readiness into the quite contradictory position that the ethic of conscience is dangerous when it is wrong and admirable when it's right. Did you follow that? That the ethic of conscience is intrinsically insidious. Insidious. That's Mike Tyson. <laughs> Let me try that again. That the ethic of conscience is intrinsically insidious seems scarcely a revelatory point. The ethic of conscience. Inflicting your conscience. The ethics of inflicting your personal conscience upon another person is not a new thought. People have, have thought about this before. People have gone over this before. It's been talked about ad infinitum. Impressed with that? Like that phrase, do you? Pulled it out of the rectum. <laughs> it's not a revelation here. People understand that conflict. But it's one that's raised with increasing infrequency. People don't talk about it anymore. People don't question that stuff as much as they used to. And even those who do raise it, tend to segue with troubling readiness. They move on eagerly into the quite contradictory position that the ethic of conscience inflicting your ethics, your conscience, your self-righteousness, is dangerous, of course, when it's wrong, Hitler. Ah, right? But it's admirable when it's right. Your opinion of right and wrong. Now, a lot of you, there goes the hair. I smell the, I smell the hair already. You think that your, your concept of right and wrong is chiseled in fucking stone someplace. Some of the... Let me continue. <laughs> Joan Didion continues on saying, You see, I want to be quite obstinate about insisting that we have no way of knowing beyond that fundamental loyalty to the social code what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil. Let me repeat this. She wants to be obstinate, ornery about insisting. She wants to be kind of a bitch in her insistence 
that we have no way of knowing beyond the fundamental loyalty to the social code, the social code, or the doctrine, or the scripture. We have no way of knowing whoops, beyond any of that what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil. These are the things that decide it for us. Things that are subjective. She continues to say she dwells upon this because the most disturbing aspect of morality seems to her to be the frequency with which the word now appears in the press, on television, in the most perfunctory kinds of conversation, questions of straightforward power or survival politics, questions of quite indifferent public policy, questions of almost anything, they are all assigned these factitious moral burdens. Factitious moral burdens. Rights and wrongs. This is where I typically start this. There is something facile going on, some self-indulgence at work. Of course, we would all like to believe in something, like to assuage our private guilts in public causes, like to lose our tiresome selves, like perhaps to transform the white flag of defeat at home into the brave white banner of battle away from home. I'm going to go back over that one. There is something facile going on. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I never use the word facile. <laughs> Some self-indulgence. We know what that is, though. Some self-indulgence at work. She says, again, we would all like to believe in something. Like to assuage our private guilts in public causes. Throw ourselves into something bigger than ourselves. Like to lose our tiresome selves. Like perhaps to transform the white flag of defeat at home. Maybe the defeat in our own personal lives. How we feel like our lives are meaningless. This is the, the white savior crap that you run into, I think, down in, in Latin America as well. The white flag of defeat at home. Into the brave white banner of battle away from home. I've talked about the till your own soil thing. Have I talked about it on the live stream yet? Thy love afar is spite at home. It's kind of the same idea. She continues on and says, of course... It's all right to do that. That is how, immemorially, things have gotten done. But I think it is all right only. She continues, only so long as we do not delude ourselves about what we're doing and why. It's all right only so long as we remember that all the ad hoc committees, all the picket lines, all the brave signatures in the New York Times, all the tools of agitprop, I, I squealed like a girl when I saw Agitprop in her essay. All the tools of Agitprop straight across the spectrum do not confer upon anyone any ipso facto virtue. It is all right only so long as we recognize that the end may or may not be expedient, may or may not be a good idea, but in any case has nothing to do with morality as long as we do not delude ourselves about why we are doing it. It's all right as only so long as we remember that all the ad hoc committees, picket lines, break signatures in the New York Times, all the, the tools of agitprop straight across the spectrum do not confer upon anyone any virtue. It's all right only so long as we recognize that the end may or may not be expedient, may or may not be a good idea, but in any case has nothing to do with morality. Now, fuck it. It's worth reading again. It's all right. 
Only so long as we remember that the ad hoc committees, all the picket lines, all the brave signatures in the New York Times, all the tools of agitprop straight across the spectrum, do not, do not confer upon anyone any ipso facto virtue. It's all right, only so long as we recognize that the end may or not be expedient, may or may not be a good idea, but in any case has nothing, zero, zilch, to do with morality. Her quote's not mine, but also mine. Here's the last part of this. Because when we start deceiving ourselves into thinking not that we want something or need something, not that it's a pragmatic necessity for us to have it, but that it is a moral imperative, a moral imperative that we have it. Then is when we join the fashionable madmen. And then is when the thin wine of hysteria is heard in the land. And then is when we are in bad trouble. And I suspect we are already there. Written in 1965, this is Joan Didion, on morality, that last part. That is the litmus test. That is the madman test. That's the fucking fanatic test right there. If you or someone you know, you can tell, you can always tell because they wear this fanaticism, this morality, this self-righteousness on their sleeve. And it's everywhere. It's in the media now. Going back to the original uh, topic of the, the, the first subject of the, of the show. Feeding the soil and green back to people, feeding their, their self-righteousness back to them. And people demanding to have that self-righteousness fed back to them, that sense of morality fed back to them. We are increasingly becoming a nation of bilateral fanatics. fanatics. When we start deceiving ourselves into thinking, not that we want something, or not that we need something, not that it's a pragmatic necessity for us to have it, pragmatism, but that it is a moral imperative that we have it. Then is when we join the fashionable madmen. Then is when the thin wine of hysteria. Is it thin? Is it really a thin wine now? It's almost like a, a shrieking squeal at this point, isn't it? Then is when the thin wine of hysteria is heard in the land, and then is when we are in bad trouble. And she thought we were there in 1965. Joan Didion on morality. I've talked about that. I've had this uh, three years now. I first found this, I think, in 2020. And I about shit. One of the most perfect essays I've ever read. Moral imperatives. Jacques Ellul talked about this. Moral certainty. Moral certitude. That's what propaganda feeds on. That's, how, that's how, what propaganda... Once you've established that, that moral certitude in the propagandee, you can pretty much get him to do anything you want because we're talking about the same things here. This moral certitude. It's a moral imperative that we have this, that this has to happen. Moral certitude and moral imperatives, they are one in the same thing. And this is where... As I transition into this thing that I was intending to do back in 2019, maybe 2018, I think actually, I think this thing hatched in 2018. It doesn't have a date on it, but it's talking about the other part of this show is talking about, oh, this is 2019, September of 2019. So this is before I think I met Didion, or uh, <laughs> met Didion. I feel like I met her when I uh, 
found that essay. Yeah. I've done some of this before, but I don't think I ever really got into what I've called shouldism. If you've noticed, if you follow me on social media, some of you do, if you see me use the word should, normally I've got it in quotes. And it comes from Lenny Bruce. It doesn't come from Joan Didion. It originally came from Lenny Bruce. And again, had I mapped this out, maybe I will. Maybe I'll put it in the podcast here as I go through and post uh, editing. Let me tell you the truth. The truth is what is. And what should be is a fantasy. A terrible, terrible lie that someone gave the people long ago. The truth is what is. What should be is a fantasy. A terrible, terrible lie someone gave the people long ago. The truth is what is. External truth is what is. How the world is. What should be is a fucking fantasy. It doesn't exist anywhere but in your fucking head. And more and more, I think, in this culture, in society, especially young people, especially young people who think that they get their own special truth. That's my truth. (laughs) That's my truth. No, dumbass. It's not. You don't get your own fucking truth. You get your perspective. You get your experience. But those are only slivers, subjective slivers of the one reality we all share. The truth is what is. The truth is the reality of something. What should be is a fantasy, a fucking fantasy, a terrible, terrible lie someone gave the people long ago or in school or in college. What should be? This is something that really got me. And I remember thinking this back when I'm talking about my liberal days, at least 10 years ago. I started noticing this coming out of people's mouths all the time. It's like, we should this, and people should that, and, and this country should this, and blah, 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 blah. And I was thinking about it. It didn't, it didn't sit right. I, I saw myself doing it as well. I'm not, I'm not innocent here. I was, it was all over the place, I, especially in like the gun control arguments, <laughs> right? Whereas a country, we shouldn't have to blah, 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 blah. I engaged in this, but it never sat well with me. And it, 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 it's one of those little slivers, one of those little, little seeds that was planted and started to sprout over the years into uh, leading up to the excommunication in 2017. It's everywhere. Listen to, it, it, listen to liberals. Listen to, you, you're going to get a little bit of this moral imperative bullshit on the right too, but it's all over. I mean, they should rename liberalism shouldism. If we want to get to utopia... If we're ever going to get to utopia, this is what we should do. People should this and people should that. I, I have it all figured out. My religion, my group, I have figured this out. We have figured this out. And this is what you should do for your own good, right, Joan? Or is that Lionel? Should I go back and, and redo the Lionel tr- uh, <laughs> trilling quote here? Huh? Yeah, what the hell? I got seven hours. Why not? Be aware of the dangers which lies in our most generous wishes when we want to help somebody, when we want to save somebody, when we're a white savior, a brown savior, some kind of fucking savior. Some paradox of our nature leads us when once we have made our fellow man the objects of our enlightened interest. Our enlightened interest. The objects of our enlightenment. We are the Messiah. The enlightened Messiah. Here to save them from themselves. 
Go on and make them the objects of our pity. <laughs> Pick one, <laughs> right? Then of our wisdom. Oh, we know all of this. We have it all figured out. And ultimately, of our coercion, telling people, forcing people to behave a certain way for their own fucking good. Shouldism. We should. Just, just count it. Pay attention from now. You don't have to change. I'm not asking you to change how you talk or anything like that, but I want you to pay attention when you, when you shut off the podcast or the lives or whatever the fuck you're doing with this. From now on, pay attention to how often people use the word should in a self-righteous context. Like they've got it all figured out for you. And that quickly, when it becomes a moral imperative, not just should, but must. To be good and righteous, we must. You must. When I say we, it's not just me that I'm talking about. I'm also talking about you. We must means directly, means you must. Or we should means you should. Shouldism is a disease. Let me see what I wrote here back in 2019 because I, this isn't the only, I mean, I've got a stack here. Not all of this. I think I don't think all of this is on shouldism, but a lot of it is. It's it, that moral imperative stuff from Alul. I mean, that's a that's a central tenet in his propaganda theory is establishing that moral imperative, that moral certitude, that sense of self-righteousness. He talks about I, I talked about this the other day, good social conscience, where your conscience feels good. Like you, you, in your conscience has you positioned in a socially righteous place. That's a good social conscience. That's moral certitude. Becomes moral imperatives when you apply these things, this self-righteousness, to certain individual policies or behaviors, societal behaviors. Cancel culture. Some of this I did actually do in one of those podcasts back there. I want to say it's the one from uh, September 10th, 2019. Iceberg Ahoy, I think. It's right around there because <laughs> there's some uh, Dave Chappelle material on here. I should just read this off and see what I think of it now without... <laughs> Anxiety piece? What's this? Oh, yeah. Shit, yeah. Fuck it. Let's do it. So what I have here, I've labeled this. It's from 19, September of 2019. And I think it was the first, one of the first forays or one of the uh, triggers into this shouldism idea for the podcast. I don't think I ever got to it. I think I left it alone and then was going to go back and do this big expansive piece on it. And uh, as I want to do, I, I didn't do shit or <laughs> mentioned it a few times and moved on. But I said that um, here's a fun social media game. Follow the should. Shouldisms. Uh, asking whenever you hear the word should, is this person saying, I think, or in my opinion, or are they making a kind of authoritarian declaration? Moral imperative. Is the should in question actually idealism or is it self-righteous judgment? Or worse, ideological puritanism disguised as wholesome idealism. Ideological puritanism disguised as wholesome idealism. And what's the practical difference between ideological puritanism and doctrine-driven idealism? What is the difference between ideological puritanism 
Ideological Puritanism is doctrine. Puritanism. I also said I've been playing my little game on and off for a while, and the results have been predictable. Quite often, the rhetorical disguise is about as effective as a plastic mustache. I've been working quite hard on this, personally conditioned myself to mentally twitch whenever I automatically begin spitting rationalizing... Uh, what? Spitting, oh, spitting out the word should. Surprising how often that twitch happens, how frequently Dumbo rationalizes self-righteousness into altruistic morality. Dumbo being Heights Elephant, the, ra- the writer rationalizing the emotive conclusion. Where the elephant wants to be, that's the... the I won't go down that road. But when I'm talking about Dumbo, I named my elephant Dumbo. How frequently Dumbo rationalizes self-righteousness into altruistic morality. That speaks directly to what Didion was talking about right there. Moral imperatives. Altruistic morality. Disguising what's basically self-righteousness. Narcissistic self-righteousness. A doctrine-driven, ideologically imposed self-righteousness. Based on the doctrine. Based on the scripture. Elephantitis is a hell of a thing, I said. And mindfulness is useful. <laughs> then I mentioned Tristan Harris in that podcast of his. He used to be a, I used to be a big fan of his. I'm back once upon a time. Your Undivided Attention podcast. Not anymore. You notice I haven't mentioned him probably since 2020. Maybe a little bit in 2021. I mean, there's some good stuff in there. But they're, they're just as woke as anyone. That's what they're trying to fight. What they consider disinformation, what they're calling disinformation, is anti-woke rhetoric. Check them out. Go listen to them. I invite you to go listen to it. They have a lot of great stuff, like the, the psychology of social media and all that. That material is fantastic, but it's always uh, tainted. They, they have an agenda. A very woke <clears throat> agenda. Anyway, I said it led me to Tristan Harris and a small group of people who are attacking propaganda, disinformation, technology, addiction, manipulation, and the ethics of contemporary media. I don't listen to other podcasts, but I caught a couple of Harris's called Your Undivided Detention, so I just found it at this point. I said he's definitely a technophile. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And clings to the notion that the solution to the tech problem is better, more evolved tech. You know, if something's causing you a problem, the one thing you need is more of it. I got to have more cowbell. Cling, cling, cling. Right? <laughs> Such a great bit. Said I don't necessarily agree. No, no, I don't. But my agreement doesn't matter. We're not rolling the technology back. What's perceived as progress, we're not rolling that back. It's not. We're not going to put the tech back in the bottle <laughs> unless we nuke ourselves. That's part of uh, oh, the cultural myth. That's, the, the technology thing is part of what Lou will call the cultural myth, the established narrative, the foundational myth. And I said, well, I'm skeptical. We'd better hope he's right, that more technology, better technology is going to save us. Now, again, this goes back to what I was talking about earlier. We can have better technology if we want it. <laughs> but if this is what's flawed, it doesn't matter. Now, what's needed is that evolution, that evolutionary leap in self-awareness. I keep coming back to the same goddamn thing. And until we have that, the technology doesn't matter. The information doesn't matter. You attach profits to consumption. The consumer 
is what matters. That's the only thing that matters in the informational ecosystem. Oh, what's the alternative, Todd? Well, there isn't one because if you if you take the, the choice element out of it, then your media, your informational ecosystem is guided by one person, right? One person, a ministry of truth, an official party truth, an official governmental truth. Informational totalitarianism, George Orwell. There is no good solution here. If you want to keep your freedom, if you want to stay free as a, as a, as a country, as a species, probably, since we're all interconnected now anyway, and globalism's here, whether you like it or not. Globally, we're connected. There's people listening to this fucking podcast in Southeast fucking Asia, in Australia. Germany. I see you over there, England. How you doing? Not to mention all over the fucking country. We're all connected. We are, informationally, we are already a globalist society. So if you want to remain free, if we want to remain free as a species, not only as a people, but as a species, that's got to be addressed. It has to be. The, 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 the evolution of self-awareness has to happen. It's going to happen one way or another anyway. If you don't think that the earth is 5,000 years old, if you believe in evolution, evolution didn't stop, as Bill Hicks said, with opposable thumbs, right? It's coming. It can either come the easy way or the hard way when we bomb ourselves back into the Stone Age, rip, rip each other to shreds until it gets bad enough, until enough blood has flown, until enough suffering, enough people have died or at least suffered horrendously to get to the point like an addict where we've hit rock bottom and start to ask questions. Okay, maybe is there what, what's really going on here? The painful questions, the forced questions. I've talked about this before. I've used that analogy before, and I think it's a fucking good one. The addict, the rock bottom analogy. Sometimes there's not always a happy ending. A lot of you have faced addiction. A lot of you know people who have faced addiction, be it alcohol or drugs, whatever. There's no guarantee that you hit rock bottom and find your way out of it. People die every day not being able to hit rock bottom, not being able to cure themselves, not being able to bring themselves out of it. They didn't get a chance to self-evolve. They didn't make the choice to change. They couldn't. For whatever reason, it's not, a, not an indictment, not an accusation. I'm not criticizing. Really, I'm not. Some people just can't do it. I have a whole story about a guy. Uh, I don't have him on the wall anymore, but Dennis. My very first ride out in Colorado. He'd been blown up in an oil well. He gave me a ride around across Colorado. He looked like a monster. He did. I'm sorry. Dennis Gurney, G-U-R-N-E-Y. Look him up. He's on Google. Look what he did. Look what happened to him a year after he gave me that ride. He could not find his way out of the vodka bottle. And he took a cop with him. People don't always recover. They don't always, they can't always save themselves. And as a species, we may be in the same boat. We may like our toys. We may like dining upon our egocentric soylent green and calling it news. 
We may like it too much. We may enjoy the high, the buzz of self-righteousness. We may be addicted to that thin wine of moral imperative hysteria that Joan Didion talked about. It may not end well. Maybe there is no happy ending here. If there is a happy ending and we, you know, suddenly decide to ask questions and look in the mirror real good and say, oh, well, yeah, maybe my tools of perception are a little, a little, a little fucked up collectively as a species. Maybe if we do that, maybe we can sort of bring this into a soft landing, <laughs> right? More than likely though, no. More likely, we're going to drive straight off the fucking cliff. Hit the rocks below, and whatever's left, whoever's left is going to crawl out of this car, this crumpled rem remnants of a vehicle called society. Going to crawl, stagger out of there, limp up to the shoreline, pray to God they don't bleed out. But if they don't, they're going to be the ones who, as they're sitting there licking their wounds, waiting for their bones to heal, Praying to God <laughs> that they're not <laughs> devoured by scavengers. They're going to be the ones who engage in that kind of self-awareness, that kind of introspection, that kind of deep look, a look deeply into the fucking mirror. They're going to be the ones that do it. Most of us are going to be gone. Most of the people, if we get to that point, if it's a rock-bottom situation... To that degree, most of us are gone. And that may be, <laughs> Matt, you know how I love Graham Hancock. <laughs> Maybe that has happened repeatedly. Maybe we're just defective. Maybe we get to a certain point technologically, a certain size uh, societally, where we just collapse in upon ourselves because we can't do it. All the indications are there. If you take off the rose-colored glasses and start looking at things as they are, not as they should be or not as you want them to be, but as they really are, if you start looking at it through those lenses, it seems pretty apparent. Nobody wants to hear this shit, man. Nobody wants to hear this. This podcast is never going to go anywhere as long as I'm preaching that. But that's the truth. That's as honest as I can fucking be. How dare you! My travel days started in, uh, they, they got underway in 2009. 2008, sorry. May 20th of 2008. But I had this whole spirituality foundation to it. Like, uh, synchronicity is what I called it. Like, everything happens for a reason. The universe and people, our lives are all interconnected. Everything happens for a reason. Yeah, the universe looking out for you, kind of thing. Chris and I bonded on that, that spiritual thought. It was a religion. It is a religion. The universe is God. Karma is your heavenly reward. It is a religion. <clears throat> a lot of people that I've traveled with have come to that conclusion. They like that idea. They like the idea that uh, there's a, a universe. They always say the universe, a universal component. Like we're all 
just part of this super organism. I get it. But that was my foundation. That was Chris's foundation. And I took off thinking that I was going to go, not even Chris McCandless, I was going to go like Survivor Man shit back in 2009. My original view, like the picture that I had, the vision I had in my head was me vanishing off into Mex. I was trying to make teepees and shit. I was trying to figure out how to fucking like <laughs> catch food. <laughs> really? I wanted to figure out how to exist without money. I like Chris McCandless. He never figured it out either. Chris McCandless, into the wild guy, worked at fucking McDonald's. It was a Burger King. I think it was McDonald's in Las Vegas. He was a waiter in Las Vegas. He went and worked at, you know, that farm up in uh, South Dakota. And this is after he, like a, like a dumbass, burned his pile of money. Well, that's what I, I was, I was kind of seeing myself doing. And I, I just wanted to like plug in. I wanted to get rid of all the fat, cut all the bullshit off of my life, out of my life, and just exist as simply and as free as I possibly could. That was my idea. It took me four, four or five years to get to the point where I could actually take off, and Chris was instrumental in pushing me out the door. But I mentioned Dennis a little bit earlier. He was my very first ride, like the second or third day that I'm out hitchhiking, Doing my thing, trying to figure it all out, trying to, you know, get a feel for it. He, he gave me the ride across the Rockies, like I said. And I sat down once I got out of the truck. This is all on my blog, ToddZillaX.com, I think. If not, it'll be up on uh, the Substack site at some point. ToddZillaX over there as well. But it, it immediately, when I got to the couch surfer's place in Glenwood Springs and I started to process what had happened with this guy, I immediately plugged into this thing that eventually overtook me. This examination of people, of human beings, who and what we are. That's what this is. That's when I discovered my writing. That's when I discovered everything. It was being out in it, out in, in the world, in just the backwoods, rural, disconnected places and running into random people. Now, this Fed, that synchronicity thing that I like to talk about, and, you know, I can take this off in another direction. I'm not 100% sure that I totally disbelieve that shit. It's got to be, it's at least as viable as the fucking Big Bang. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm fucking sorry. Where are the chemicals? What were the chemicals? Where did the chemicals come from that created the Big Bang? <gasps> I don't buy that shit. Give me simulation theory. Give me a computer simulation theory. That makes infinitely more sense to me than the Big Bang. I mercifully digress. But that fed that because I ran into Dennis. Very first week, very first real ride. And it was this, even before the incident that happened a year later where he killed himself and that cop. Even before that, it seemed like I was randomly just, I was being guided in a certain direction. The people that I found, the experiences I had with those people, it took over. I became obsessed with it. I fast forward about a year and a half. Had my, the first year, 2008, kind of figuring everything out. 2009, Chris and I went out together, all right, and just attacked it. That's when I met my long lost family. That year's traveling ended 
for all intents and purposes, on my birthday in 2009, the day that I turned 39, and I had just discovered this thing I, I called Don Quixote. This Don Quixote complex is what I didn't know what it was, but I had picked up on the tendency to ignore reality in favor of what it is they want to see. And I had just read the book Don Quixote. You know, he's attacking windmills in his head. He's saving a like some fair maiden from a giant or some shit, right? But he's attacking a windmill. There's a famous shirt, Picasso. I have one, actually. But he thinks he's attacking a giant. It's just a windmill. But in his fucking mind, he's deluded himself into thinking it's a windmill because it fits his identity. Fits something. When I figured that out, when I first glimpsed that, holy shit. It was right at the end of that, in 2009, I came home. I was dog-sitting or something, house-sitting for some people, some friends of ours making some money, and I took my notebook over there, and I just, or I, I think I took a computer over there too, and I just spit shit out. I'm like, I got to process this shit. Everything fucking changed then. That's when I lost my religion, because I got, I got to apply this to myself, right? If people are doing this, if people are seeing these things, deluding themselves to fit their, I guess, their identity, their religion, their schematic, their schema, whatever it is, but if they're fitting, they're 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 seeing these delusional interpretations of reality based on that. Was I doing the same thing? All of these things that I thought were the universe looking out for me. Was that bullshit? Eureka! Everything changed, and not not in a good way. I can't say that I'm happier. Within a year, I think. What was it? That happened in September of 09. By December or January 2010, I'd written this thing. This is up on ToddZillaX.com called The Abyss because cynicism flooded me because I had <laughs> I'd seen behind the curtain. I could no longer sit here with a good conscience and say that people are divine inspired little creatures on their way to utopia. We're flawed, tragically so. And there's no getting around that. If your eyes are clear, if you want to see the world as it is, and if you're interested in actual solutions, as I try to bring this cart around home, if you're actually interested in solutions to the propaganda and division problem, if you want to avoid, avoid dystopia, Mad Max, if you want to keep your neighbors from becoming your mortal enemy, as we continue to connect and agitate each other more and more and more and more and more. If you want any solutions to that, you may not be able to find them anyway, but the only way you can find them is to be tethered to fucking reality, to see things, to see yourselves, to see us collectively as a fucking species, to see us as we are, not as we want them to be, not as we want us to, to appear to the world, to, to, to think we are, to tell our kids or your kids, I don't have fucking kids. Thank God I don't have fucking kids. Again, remember the dog in the fight thing from earlier? <laughs> but that's the only way you're going to get there. And you may not anyway, but that's the only way you can possibly get there. And you have to be able to, we, we, I keep saying you, if you want to find solutions, 
If they're out there to be found, you have to be able to see things as they are. And that's been hard, man. I never recovered from that. I never, <laughs> I never, the, the traveling took on a different tone. I was having nothing but positive experiences because I was a positive person. I was, I was a guy that people liked to be around more than I am now because I was talking in hopeful terms. Like I had, I was engaging in the bullshit, the hopeful bullshit. People can't exist without hope. This is another thing I've talked about. Boy, I should segue here. I should venture off in that direction. I don't really feel like it today. <laughs> Sausage party hope. People have got to have hope. Because without hope, but where do you get it? Where is it? Where the fuck is it? Help me out here. Where the fuck is it? And looking around with open eyes, with open fucking eyes, not with your shoulds. Well, look what's happening with the trans. Fuck you. I don't want to hear any of that bullshit. Where is it? Where's the indication? That people have any clue, any interest in having a clue about who and what we really are. That they're moving in the direction where they're not going to just turn into chimps eating each other's faces off. Where is it? Show it to me. Do it now. Poor fucking vor. Where is it? I've been looking for it 10 fucking years at least. At least 10 years. I ain't found it yet. Best thing I came up with, sausage party hope. That's a, you gotta get, you gotta get people hope. You, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's on the YouTube channel. There's a, did I do an episode on that? I know I played some of it. I talked about it. Maybe it was in that, uh, everything we've been led to believe is a lie. Great beyond is bullshit. What? That's crazy talk. You liars. I know you don't want to believe it. But I have proof! What about about the extra virgin olive oil? My flaps will be dry for an eternity! I can't have dry flaps! I can't! (laughs) Okay, whoa, whoa, easy! I have a plan! We can run! I can't run! I'll melt! Okay, uh, uh, then, then, uh, we'll hide! Where? I'm huge! Then we'll fight! I ain't fighting alongside a bunch of fruits! What? Ever, you nut job. So we cannot run, we cannot hide, and we cannot stand up to them because they're fucking gods and they're immortal. So basically, there's no hope and we're royally fucked. Hey guys, you want to believe that or this? I don't like bad things. Me either. We choose the more pleasant thing. Yeah, I mean, what this sausage is saying, it's just a no, 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 it's not a theory, you morons. It's a fact. Open your fucking eyes. Don't be so weak. You, senor, have no bedside manner. What? I have bedside manner. You don't respect anyone else's belief. You intolerant piece of shit. I tried to warn everyone, but they didn't believe me. Of course they didn't. You just called them all a bunch of fucking idiots. You can't just slam their beliefs. You have to show them that there's a better way. You need to inspire them like you inspired me. You need to give them hope. You got to give people hope. You can't just tell people they're stupid. You can't just tell people that their beliefs are wrong. You got to give them hope. Or what? Tell me. I don't get that. I don't understand that philosophy. Or what? They're not going to listen to me? Oh, what is the... I don't understand. 
I don't understand that. You've got to give people hope. You've got to, again, (laughs) it's probably why I'm antisocial. This is probably like a really basic thing that I've missed that I don't understand. That most people just take for granted or maybe they learn this at some, but I don't understand this. Why can't you just tell people the truth? Why can't you just show people (laughs) A, B, and C without having to blow smoke up their ass to make them feel good about their dire situation? Now, it could be because people, if they don't have hope, will just quit. They'll just give the fuck up. Hopelessness, depression. I guess that's probably it, right? I don't know. But I'm looking for it. I, I am I, I, I'm eagerly, intense. I, I, if you can, <laughs> I'm desperate for it, can you tell? But it's got to be real. It's got to be authentic and genuine. And I just know. I don't find any, anything, anything. It's just getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And the more I learn, the more I read, the more I learn about psychology, evolutionary psychology, social psychology, informational psychology. And the more I, I edge toward that storytellers, not truth tellers, dystopia. I have this echo going on in the back of my head, too, out of uh, one of the Alul books, where propaganda and disinformation stories, political stories, sociological stories, ideological stories, tribal stories, that we need them, that that there's a necessity, something in our minds demands, not only demands them, requires them. And if that's the case, how how do you combat that? I think I'm going to wind this down with that. If you have something, if you can, if you can show it to me, I've, I've asked this question a hundred times. Nobody ever <laughs> gets back with me. Uh, porn. I think I think uh, one version of the question was, "What's something that brings us together?" And the best response I got was pornography. <laughs> it's the one thing that we seem to. <laughs> I guess it's not a terrible answer. What is it though? What, what? Give me, give me something. One indication, an indication that you're seeing progress, that you're seeing the off ramp, getting off this highway to hell, this highway to destruction, this highway to a societal implosion. I haven't even started to talk about the climate shit. Incidentally, I don't really give a shit about the climate. I've said this before. <laughs> Yeah, you heard me correctly. I don't give a fuck. You're not ever going to hear me whine and complain about uh, the climate shit. You will hear me whine and complain about uh, this bitch. How dare you? Yeah, you'll hear me complain about her a lot. How dare you? How dare you? She's the problem. As far as environmentalism, though, climate change, the climate catastrophe, climate crisis, I guess is what they're calling it. They've been calling it. They had to rebrand the damn thing. Not enough people were paying attention. Still aren't. I don't care. Here's why. I don't. I'm not a climate denier. I think that something's happening. It might be man-made. It probably is. At least man's our technology, our pollution's contributing to it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't fucking matter. Doesn't fucking matter. It's coming. Whatever's coming is coming. You're not going to stop it. You are not going to stop it. Your stupid movement. Gluing yourself to paintings, making a dick out of yourself, a performative dick out of yourself, 
every fucking week isn't going to change anything. I don't care if you're a kid. I don't care if you have kids. I'm sorry to say this. I don't. I don't care if you have children. This is a fact. This, mark my words, whatever is going to happen is going to happen. And it's going to happen regardless of whether or not you have children. You're not going to stop it. I don't want to hear any more about it. I'm done hearing about it. You want to, you want to get my attention? You start talking to me about how we're going to adjust to it, how we're going to adapt to this new world. Because if the science is right, I personally believe it is. What's done is done. Not enough people are listening to you. Not enough people are willing to change their lives around the world. It's not even just this country. And even if it was just this country, that's not enough. You've got to get people in China. You've got to get people in India, in Russia, all these other industrialized nations outside of thumb in the ass Europe to get on board. You can clean up your corner of the fucking zoo. doesn't matter if the rest of the zoo is shitting all over the place. It's not going to happen. Turn your attention away from trying to get people to buy into this storyline and turn your attention to solutions, actual solutions that are going to help uh, when the climate catastrophe really kicks into gear. Because it's coming. It doesn't matter. In fact, I said this before too. You ready, ready to have your hair set on fire again? I'm rooting it on. Bring it. Come on. Temperatures rise. I'm really fascinated with what they're finding underneath the, the glaciers, what they're finding underneath uh, Antarctica or will find underneath Antarctica. I really want to be around when Antarctica melts, man. I want to see the continent. I want to see what's underneath there. Incidentally, the stuff that they're finding underneath these glaciers, how did they get there? I mean, has the climate changed before? <laughs> or is like Mother Nature kind of pulling a prank on us? Wouldn't like all this shit underneath there just to dick with us. Like a tricky god, like fundamentalists, <laughs> Christian fundamentalists who think the world's 5,000 years old. Well, God put the dinosaur bones there to test our faith. Maybe Mother Nature's doing that with all the shit, like the skis and the knives and the bodies being found underneath the glaciers. Woolly mammoths. Now what's going on? Maybe the climate has changed before. Maybe it's secular. You never know. Cyclical. Circular. Secular. Daddy's tired. How long have I been doing this shit now? Long enough. I can't find it. Where's my music? See, eventually this is going to be a lot smoother. <clears throat> I think that went okay today. I think. I've thought these things before and I've went and watched them. <clears throat> Escapingthecave.com, that's my almost defunct website. Keep that website, though, because I think that's going to head over to the Substack. I think I'm going to sign that to the Substack thing. In the meantime, Todd Zillax is Substack. Good stuff over there, I think. Of course I do, because I put it up there. <laughs> Got a YouTube channel. I haven't done much with that yet uh, lately. I, there's stuff there. Go check it out. What else do I got? Oh, Twitch. If you're listening to the podcast, this is being live-streamed on Twitch. When I get good at it and I'm comfortable with it, I'll do this on a regular schedule. Until then, I'm just doing this occasionally, so you can check out the Facebook page or whatever. It's also going to be in the group on Facebook. Until I'm comfortable, and then I'm going to switch it over to the page. Blah, 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 blah. Thank you for listening. Appreciate it. 
Thank you for watching. Your patience with my <laughs> technical ineptitude. Yeah. We'll talk to you next time. So long.